We are continuing on in our sermon series on Ephesians, discovering or finding our true identity. We've got a pretty long passage of scripture this morning, so we're going to let Brother Ted get right at it. Living as children of light. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for you are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Amen. Those are good words for us to uh, think about this morning as we ponder our identity in Christ. Um, During these weeks, we've been doing so together. I read this week that when um, converts, uh, native converts on the island of Madagascar used to come uh, before the church for baptism, the pastor or the leader would ask them, Uh, something along the lines of what was it that first led you to become interested in Jesus? Or what were the first movings of God in your heart to bring you interested into the things of God? Was it a sermon? Was it a song? Was it a conversation that you have? And most often the answer was not any of those things, but it was the changed conduct of others who used to be away from Jesus and then came close to him. And it was the changed and the transformation that first arrested their attention upon Christ. One convert said, I knew this man to be a thief or a drunkard or cruel and unkind, but now they're all changed. The thief is an honest man. The drunkard is sober and respectable, and the other is gentle and kind. There must be something in their faith that can work such changes in them. 
as we continue to think about our identity in Christ, there needs to be a recognition of a changed life. And so we get to this passage in Ephesians and a whole new idea comes out. You haven't seen this any, uh, anywhere else in the Bible until this passage that we read about this morning, this, this idea of an old life versus a new life. And so you see on the, the screen, the first thing we want to share this morning is really what Paul is doing in this passage is drawing a line in the sand. Much of what we've been looking at in this, in this book so far has been theological. And I'm not intimating that there isn't good theology in this passage as well. But Paul turns from preaching and theologizing to, in a sense, meddling. Now, if you're here with us last Sunday, you uh, labored through with us more than a dozen ways that God has gifted the church. And he really is, was inviting us, remember, into experiencing his mission and his plan and his ideas for us so that we would live into those because we are his children. But it's like there's a, there's a change that happens after that passage. And you see it starting here and it continues through some of the rest of the book. Paul kind of starts to meddling like preachers often do. He starts to get specific about certain sins. He starts to get specific about certain kinds of behaviors. He helps us to realize that we can, we can know all the theology. We can even see our own giftedness. And yet if there's not a transformation that's occurring within us, if there's not a new life alive and breathing and living inside of us, then it's just a lot of good fluff. It's a lot of good works, which isn't a, a sinful thing. But if there's no new life and there's no transformation, then it's all about us and not a whole lot about God. And so Paul draws a line in the sand and he says it this way in, the, in verse 17. He says, I'm telling you all of this and I insist on it in the Lord. Now, when the apostle Paul wrote to his church and says, hey, everyone, are you listening? This is important. I insist, I demand, this is the most important thing, that you don't live the way the world lives. You don't live the way the world lives. So what Paul is saying is what, what your unbelieving friends have been telling you for years. I should be able to look at people in the church and see that they live differently than people who don't go to church. They shouldn't visit the same websites that people who don't go to church visit. They shouldn't demonstrate the same kinds of outbursts and demonstrations of behavior than people who don't go to church do. People in the church should be the most forgiving people in the world. And down through the list he goes. And he really is talking about claiming our identity, but also that we demonstrate authentically that what we claim is real in the way that we live our daily life. So it may be that we've fooled ourselves. It may be that we're confused. It may be that we feel lost or we feel trapped or unable to live into the full identity that Jesus has planned for us to live. But what Paul is saying here is, as a matter of fact, this is the most important thing. In fact, and so important that I insist on it, that you do not live before you met Jesus. It is the most important thing that you can think about today. He draws a pretty clear line in the sand, and in our culture, that's bad news. You don't do that. There are pastors who won't preach that kind of a sermon because they don't want to run people off. I'm thinking, well, then I guess there's going to be no difference between us and the world. We're all just going to try to get along and, and just be who we are instead of who God has called us to be. 
And it still is an invitation. This isn't a negative thing. Paul isn't taking out the, the church you know, member bashing tool and saying, you're all messing up, you're all doing wrong, you're all, you know. He's saying that God has invited us to live an authentic, real, true spiritual life that experiences transformation day after day after day. And that's what life in Jesus is to be about. That you put off the old way of living and God does something new in you, something different, something better, something holy. And everyone can see that there's a difference. How many of you have ever met somebody or maybe been through a period in your life that you've said or felt or heard something like this? I just keep trying harder, but it just doesn't seem like I ever get anywhere. Have you ever met anyone like that? Some people do this for years. Some people do this for most of their grown adult life. They try harder. They try to do better. They try to be better. They try to feel better about themselves, and nothing has changed on the inside They're just trying to make it look better on the outside so they feel better about themselves. And Paul says, I've got to insist that you you stop the games. Stop pretending to be somebody that you're not. Stop pretending to have something that you don't have. And if you do have it, then live into it with all that you are. And if you don't have it, then surrender everything so that Jesus can give it all to you. But he says, we've got to have a line in the sand of, who we are. If we're children of God, then, and you've been with us during these last months of looking at this book, then all of the blessings that God has given us, last week all of the gifts that God has bestowed upon us, all of the grace and the salvation and the love and his presence and his mercy and everything that encompasses being a child of God, then that should be us. It should be our life. It should be on our lips. It should be in our home. It should be at our work. It should be on our knees. It should be wherever we go. This is who we are as his children. And how many people do we know will not come to church because they, who's in the church, who doesn't demonstrate new life in Jesus? In fact, what they demonstrate is something quite old. It's not new. It's much of what people unfortunately see in the established church today because we fail to live into our authentic, new, transformed life in Jesus. And Paul says if we're going to do this thing together, if we're going to be the church together, then I've got to insist that you no longer live this way any longer. And Paul really is helpful in this because I think talked about spiritual gifts last week, and we didn't go into a long explanation of what all of them are, but under the administrative gifts, other ways, it's said in the Bible, I've heard it as an organizer. You're very organized, and you have things here, and you have things there, and you get things done because everything's in line, and Paul is a very organized writer, and he does a really good job of explaining what he means to us, and so he makes a list for us. Aren't you grateful for that? Of all the things that he saw in his church that they needed to kind of lay aside. He said, you gotta let it go. Now, this wasn't the pastor's choice. This wasn't Paul's choice. This wasn't the elder's choice at the church or the deacon. This was the, the, the receiver of the letter, you and I. It was our decision to hear this truth and be willing to lay it aside or we're like, no, I'm gonna keep that for myself or I'm gonna continue to struggle with it on my own or I'm just going to continue on doing it because I want to. So there's, there's a, a comparison and contrast. We can go to the next screen. 
He says in this passage, he's like, I insist on this. You know, the Gentiles, they were this way. They were darkened in understanding. They were lost. They didn't even know about God. They couldn't see him. They were blind to that because their hearts were hardened. You remember a time in your life when your heart was hardened against God? You didn't want anything to do with him. You didn't want to know him. You didn't want to know about Jesus. And we, we see people like this all around us today. They want nothing to do with the church. They want nothing to do with God. And, and Paul says, you need to have your eyes enlightened. You need to have a hunger for him in order that you might know him with the fullness of who you are. He says, but that's not the way you've learned to know about Jesus. You are taught about the truth so that in your former way of life, you put away all those things in order that you might live into the message and the power of God. So he says, this is, this is the way you used to live. I want to talk about those things next. And then at the end, we're going to talk about the new life that he talks about. So he's really clear about this. So first he talks about his old life. And he says in verse, um, in verse uh, 22, he said, put off your old self that is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your minds. In verse 25, put off lying. Put off falsehood. Put off talking badly about your neighbor because we're all meant to be together. We're all meant to join together in unity and fellowship and love and family. And Paul just simply calls us all out, me included, and said, the the conversation that you had yesterday, the conversation that you had last week and last month, did you talk peace about each other? Did you talk about each other? Did you speak truthfully about the way they love and the way that they live? Or was your tongue filled with negativity? Was your mind filled with all the things that you see wrong in somebody else, with all the bad attitudes and behaviors? Because if you focus on those things, then that's the thing you're going to be enamored with. Speak truthfully to and about your neighbor because we all belong together. Can you imagine a congregation that goes around behind each other's they talk about as complaints. I wish they do this different. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. I wish they do this differently and do that differently. And, and you have circles of people like that and all they focus on is what's wrong or what they don't like or who they don't like or a behavior they don't have and what kind of congregation do we become? A congregation that's focused on what's wrong and what's mixed up and is negative in so many ways. And Paul says that's not the way the church is supposed to live. The Bible says that God's mercies are for how long? Forever. And he said to Peter, ah, that's not about counting how many times you forgive. It's about mercy that endures forever. And one of the things that I've asked God and reminded me again in this passage this week is that a new life in Christ is not about a life focused on what's wrong, but a life that's focused on on what's right in other people. Have you ever had someone in your life who always is the one who points out when you messed up? Pastors have these people. Employees have these people called their bosses. Children have these people called their parents. Parents have these people called their children. And all the way through life, we know of people that we're related to who just seem to pull us down, to drag us down, because they're always complaining about something or someone. And Paul says, you want to be authentic, real children of God, then focus on what's right 
in other people. Build them up, lift them up, encourage them, chew their face in behind their back. And I, I'll be honest with you, in 15 years of pastoral ministry, I cannot think of too many times where I had someone say, hey, pastor, I'd like to meet with you to talk. And the plan of their conversation was to say, man, I'm so excited about so-and-so and what they did this past Sunday. It was so great to see them stand up and, and talk about their family. Or I'm so excited about so-and-so um, asking me involved in the music program. Or I'm so excited that the, that the young people are, in, are interested in helping in the nursery. And I, I can't remember a conversation where a church member in 15 years of ministry said, Pastor, I want to meet with you so we can talk positively about anything or anyone. Pastor, we need to talk about what's going wrong here. We need to talk about what's going wrong there. Hey, Pastor, did you hear what so-and-so said? Well, were you even there? Paul says a new, Christ is a new attitude. It's a new outlook. It's a new behavior. It's a new focus in our world today. And as Christians as believers, wouldn't it be great if we were each other's champions? Wouldn't it be great if we're each other's greatest cheerleaders? Wouldn't it be great if we came to each other in the circles that we, that we go through and encourage each other to, to be grateful for the gifts that we've been given that we talked about last week? Wouldn't it be great if we came together and we talked about the ways that we can us into each other and the ideas that we could share to encourage those that may be down on their luck or down on their times? Paul talks about in this passage many, a couple different occasions about, about our sensuality. This is another one of those things that we don't like to talk about in the church very much. Denominations are dividing because of some of these kinds of issues. But Paul says you're to be a one man, one woman person. And if you're not joined together, you're to be a one man, woman, God joined together person. Studies show that over half of the people in our congregations nationwide struggle with looking at pornography. 52% of men in the church and and 39% of women, I think I studied last, have clicked on a pornographic link in the last month. And I don't think that's first friends, but it's a general rule that we are human beings. We are wired for certain things, wired to have certain desires, wired to think certain ways. And the Bible says very clearly that Paul says, do not live the way the world lives any longer. You're to be new. You're to be different. You're to be surrendered. You're to, be, to sacrifice yourselves completely to him. I have friends of mine who are in the ministry, and they've been in the ministry for as long or longer than I have. And one of them said to me a few months ago, he was like, you know, the same struggle I talked about in Bible college so many years ago, I, I fight it every day and I'm not winning. It's like I'm trying as hard as I can, but I just cannot get victory over the thoughts in my mind. And I, I, I pray for him, if you think about him. He is fighting this internal battle that so many people fight, and so many people face in the darkness alone, with no one else to, to root for them, with no one else to cheer for them, and probably more than likely they got someone in the church who is there to remind them of how messed up they are. 
Instead of having someone to come alongside them and say, I believe in you, and I believe in the truth in the scripture that when Jesus sets you free, you can be free indeed. And instead of coming alongside people and encouraging them, we seem to find so many ways to tear them down. This is an issue in the church, in Christian life. The thoughts of our mind and the lust of the flesh is so powerful. You see in their gossip, and I kind of already got alongside of that one. And then Paul talks really at length about this idea of our behavior and our anger. He says in verse 26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold in any way. Then later on he says, Don't let any wholesome talk comes out of your mouths, but what is helpful to build others up according to their needs. Um, Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Stop. All of it. It can't be any clearer. It can't be any simpler. It can't be any more evident that Paul is trying to teach us that there are behaviors that we have in the church that simply do not reflect someone who knows Jesus. It does not reflect someone who is living in the love and the light and the mercy and the presence of God. And we see people struggle with their faith and struggle with the church because we are struggling mightily with our own attitudes and our own behaviors. And as children of God, Paul says, live into the love. Live into the light that God is trying to pour into your heart and you just simply let these things go. It really is as simple and as hard as what Paul says. God said thousands of years ago, let Isaac go. Three words. Yet one of the hardest things a human being could ever imagine to do. Let go of your lust is a simple thing for us to think about. Yet such a difficult thing for us to do. Let go of your anger is such a simple thing to understand. But people spend a lifetime trying to let go. And they battle with it for years and years and years. People struggle to let go of a critical spirit. For decades, they have developed this innate ability to look at what is wrong and focus on what is negative. And Paul says, let go of that former way of living and look into the light of God and his love and his power and his mercy and his grace. He paints a pretty simple picture of the church unreformed. It's lustful, it's bitter, it's negative, it's backbiting, it's going around blowing up relationships, blowing up friendships, blowing up our minds, blowing up homes, blowing up everything that we're a part of is because we have not let go of the old way. And we have not allowed Jesus to come and do something new in us. And we don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that. I've been a believer now for 22 years. And I don't always like to hear that message from God to say, hey, have you let go of that today? 
Maybe it's a part of my life where I thought I had things kind of together, and then there's a conversation comes up. I, I like to think that I'm a pretty approachable person, and, and I let things brush off of me pretty easily. It comes with the criticism of mine, and my first reaction is not, thank you for coming to sharing that with me. My, oftentimes, my first reaction is, in my mind, I don't think I've said this out loud, who do you think you are? You have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know any of the details or any of the facts. And the fact of the matter is, my response inside is not very churchy. It's not very Jesus-like. There's nothing new there. It's the old coming back. It's the old hanging on. Because it's about me and how I feel and what I want and what I believe instead of what Jesus has done and what he's doing in someone else and what he's trying to show me through another person. And he says over and over and over again to us, Peter, Daughter, sister, let go of the old. Let go of yourself, of your own ideas, of your own ambitions, of your own way, and follow me and follow mine. Put it off. Not in the sense of procrastination. But it really is the idea of realizing, in the, it's, it's like this. This is the way my professor told it to me 20, 20 years ago. It's like, imagine you're getting ready for your first funeral as a new pastor. All those new emotions, all, you know, all of that, and you want to look your best. And, and back in the day, gosh, it's, we wore a suit and tie to everything. And uh, so you put on your, your new suit you bought for the new occasion, you get your tie on, and then you realize that there's this tear along the, the breast of your new suit. It's not, it's very noticeable. It's something that you're, there's no way you'd wear out in public anywhere. And so what do you do? You take it off because there's no way you can wear that in public. That's what Paul is talking about here. We, we look in the mirror of this Holy Spirit. And we see something down inside that, that is torn, that is damaged, that, is, that, is, that isn't right. And Paul doesn't say try harder. Paul doesn't say work on it. Paul doesn't say let it sit for a while and hope it gets better. He says let it go. Take it off. Lay it down. Surrender it to God. The fear is that when you, when you open yourself up like that to others, the fear that might come when you're no longer allowing yourself to protect yourself from others is something that you have to trust God with. But we have to let it go, lay it down, put it off, change our clothes <laughs> on the inside. So he talks about the, about the old life being full of the things you see on the screen. Let's go to the new life. Because he does offer us a, a short, powerful, pungent list of, of what it looks like to be a true follower of God. And there can't be a greater difference in the list than you see here. You see lust. You see gossip. You see lying. You see, you see bitterness. You see all the nastiness that you and I have seen in others. And then he tells us to be kind. Isn't the gospel so refreshing? 
I really didn't like talking about the old life because there's pain there, right? There's a past there. We all have one. We've all been playing the video in our mind as I've been speaking. I have. Of the times where I've allowed the old to come in or I realized there was an old that I didn't know was there that I had to let go of and the damage that was left behind. There's something so refreshing about the gospel because it becomes no longer about us and our ability, about Jesus and his ability. So he simply says to us in your relationships with each other to be kind and loving to each other. What a contrast. What a difference. What a change in the church. Did he say only when they're kind and loving to us? No, we don't get the context of that. He's saying as new believers, as children living into your gifts, living into your salvation, living into Jesus and living a life in him in your relationship with others, kind and compassionate in all times. I added the in all times as my additional summary to the text because he doesn't say some of the time or part of the time. Paul's an all or nothing kind of guy, isn't he? Remember to rejoice in the Lord how long? Always. To give thanks in what things? All things. He is a line in the sand, new or nothing kind of guy. And he says, if you're going to do this, if you're going to live this life, if you're going to claim to be a child of God, there's got to be difference. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a transformation. Are we perfect? No. Is the work of God in our life done? No way. But there's got to be a a real tangible transformation and, and explanation and visualization in the way we live that we're different than we used to be. So he says to be kind and loving to one another. Um, Process this with me for a minute. That's really great for us to hear, right? We all believe that, right? That we should be kind and loving to each other. Anyone disagree with that? Anyone think Paul was off track? Okay, we're all on the same page. We should be kind and loving to each other. So, So I want you to think ahead. Process that in your mind to later on today or to tomorrow when someone comes to you and and then maybe that person in your life who always has something wrong to say, something negative to say. It may be that person who just drives you up the wall. Don't look at the person sitting next to you, husband and wife. We all have those people in our life that just push our buttons. Everyone has a button and the devil knows how to push it. And Paul is saying, your identity as believers is to grow into a life that demonstrates kindness and love to everyone, no matter what they do to you. Did Jesus retaliate on the cross? Did Jesus fight back? I mean, come on. Torture. Falsely accused. Everything that could go wrong went wrong, and he did not respond in a negative, attacking way. What did he pray on the cross for those people? They don't even know what they're doing, God. You forgive them anyway. I'm not going to hold it against them, and I don't want you to hold it against them either. How freeing is that? How powerful is a a life lived that holds no hostages, that hasn't captured someone's negativity or moment of outbreak in a way that just casts a light upon them that will never approach again. Jesus says in every way to be kind and compassionate to one another, and he's talking to who? the church. 
He's talking to you and to me. Because he knows the old can creep in. He knows the old can hold on. And he knows how difficult it is for us to let go of what we've held on to for so long. He says to be kind and compassionate to one another. So fast forward back again to the conversation you're going to have later on today, maybe right after church. Paul says the new believer, the one living into their identity, who knows their child, who knows they're forgiven, who knows who knows they're gifted, who know they have a Savior who will never leave them or forsake them, that will be kind and loving to one another, even if it's not returned by someone. Because that's what Jesus did. And that's the kind of new life he invites you and I into as believers. He invites us to live this way. He doesn't force us to. He doesn't demand us to. But Paul says, if you want to be the church, I insist on it. We've got to start here. We've got to do this. We've got to get this. We've got to be willing to let go and let the past be the past. Let our past be our past and allow God to do something new inside of us. So he says to be kind and loving to one another. And then he says, be forgiving to each other. I think if I'd have been writing this, I would have flipped those around and done the forgiving part first. (laughs) Because I don't know how you can do be kind to one another if you hold bitterness and if you hold resentment and if you hold something against someone. You've got to do the first before you can do the second. Or you fake it until you make it. You know, maybe you've got to do that if you haven't quite come to the place of forgiveness yet. But I was driving to Portland earlier this week for a meeting and I was thinking about this passage and it just felt like this. Have you ever been in a a room and, and... and all of a sudden, someone opens a window and a cool, fresh breeze just comes in and you're just like, oh. no one's ever had that. You need to open your windows or turn on a fan once in a while. It is so refreshing. It just changes the atmosphere in the room and your feeling about life. And I, I pondered and prayed over this passage and it was like something fresh, something new can come into our church can come into us, can come into me. If I'm willing to listen and willing to let go and willing to lay some things down, willing to find ways to encourage each other. Because we're all members of one body. Every one of us is here today because they love First Friends Church. And so help us, we're going to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. And we do it by laying some things down, laying down our anger, laying down our lust, laying down our pride, laying down those things that have nothing to do with Jesus, but everything to do with us. And then saying, Lord, forgive me and fill me with your spirit so that I can be kind and loving for those that I haven't been in the past. It doesn't mean that when we lay down these things, Jesus just like makes us the world's best lover. It's still work. It's still a discipline. It's still a choice that you and I make. That's why Paul said, I have to insist that it becomes a part of your identity as believers. Do you want that to be who you are? 
Because Paul is, is inferring here, it's not automatic. You don't just get Jesus and ask him to come in. An instant person in the world. Instantly, all your past is gone. It is something that we face each day, and we wake up each morning, and we say, Lord, show me my heart, and if I need to lay something down or let something go, then I'm going to do it. When we come into that conversation, we feel the blood, you know, start coming from their knees and working our way up. At some point before it reaches our lips, we have to say, Lord, I'm going to let this go. Give me a kind word or a loving word to someone else. And I wish I, wish I could say that God just hits us with a lightning bolt from heaven and he does all this for us, but he doesn't. He gives us the Holy Spirit to teach us discipline. He gives us the Holy Spirit to give us grace for each step. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that he will fill us with his power so that we could do in, his, in him, in Christ, living in our identity for him, what we would never be able to do on our own. And like I think every other message almost since I've been at First Friends, we have an opportunity, don't we? Every one of us has an opportunity to either remain in our old ways with the same hurt and the same pain and the same damage and the same past and the same struggles and the same dangers. Or we have to say, Lord, I'm going to let those things go, even though I don't understand how I'm going to be different, even though I don't understand how I'm going to do it all. I'm going to trust that you will give me the power to do what I cannot and will not ever be able to do for myself, to be kind and loving to all, to be forgiving of each other, just as Christ forgave me. Shouldn't it be what the church is known for? Kindness and love and forgiveness and grace. What do you and I need to let go of? To put off, to live into fully the identity that Jesus is inviting us to live into. It is a glorious identity. It is a heavenly identity. It is identity the Bible says is pure and holy and perfect if it's in him. Let's stand together and we'll close in a short prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for this message today because it, 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 it touched Peter. I think of that conversation I had two days ago where I could have chosen differently. And Lord, I want to ask your forgiveness for that and I want to ask for your help to lay those temptations to be negative or to talk without someone else being there away. Help me, Lord, in the future that when someone comes to talk about someone else to be positive and to be thankful and to be grateful for who they are, to be kind and loving to one another. Lord, it may be this morning that we're here and we're just, we're trying to be faithful to the daily surrender. We wake up in the morning and we're endeavoring with all of the, the Spirit's power to lay down our old life and put on the new. We're, Lord, it may be that we've never laid down the old. And we're just battling the same battle all on our own. And I pray, Lord, for the honesty and the courage to, to invite Jesus in. To invite the Spirit to invade and totally change who we are. But Lord, we all need to hear this. 
We all need to live into this. We're all invited into the opportunity, into the identity of being followers of Jesus, who even though he was tortured and murdered and did nothing wrong, he was kind and loving, compassionate and forgiving. Oh, Lord, if that was our church in Vancouver, if that was our church in the state of Washington, if that was our church in America and around the world, what a breath of fresh air it would be for a hurting, dark, lost world. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder again today in my own life that I'm being invited to live into the identity that Jesus gave as an example, his life and death, so that we could follow him wherever he would lead us. Thank you, Lord, for the truth today. Thank you for Paul's courage to draw a line in the sand. Help us, Lord, to be willing to acknowledge where we stand, who you are, and where you're leading us and guiding us to be. And Father, may it be said of each of our lives, they're kind, they're loving, they're compassionate, they're forgiving. And for you, to you, will be all the praise and the glory and the thanksgiving, not just today, but for all of eternity. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. May you worship him as you go today.